This podcast of Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by Travelocity. You can explore great destinations by visiting Travelocity.com. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Today, we're visiting two countries that prove good things come in small packages, Belgium and Belize. In a moment, Fernando Mengi joins us to tell us about his home country, Belgium. At the crossroads of Europe, wedged between Germany, France, and the Netherlands, Belgium offers an exciting mix of cultures. The Belgians are more the the laid back. Uh, We we are really beloved in Europe for our hospitality, our openness. While Brussels bustles as Europe's new capital city, just up the road is Bruges, one of the most enchanting medieval towns anywhere. Then, we'll head just south of the Mexican border to Belize. This former British colony at the base of the Yucatan Peninsula offers a surprising mix of Caribbean and Latin American culture. Belize is famous for some of the best scuba diving and backcountry jungle trekking anywhere. We're packing for two completely different climates as we head for Belgium and Belize on today's Travel with Rick Steves. Yes, great delights do come in small packages. I'm Rick Steves, and today we're looking at two little countries that pack a big sightseeing punch. Belgium is the home to the European Union capital, where the new United Europe charts its future. Tour guide Ferdinando Mengi joins us in a moment to take your calls about visiting his home country. Then, we travel just south of the Yucatan to Belize, where the Caribbean meets Latin America. It's Belgium and Belize on today's Travel with Rick Steves. I've got with me a good friend who I've known for, I think, 15 years, wonderful tour guide now. He's graduated from a bus driver to a tour guide, and uh, he is my man in Belgium. And we got Ferdinando Mengi. Ferdi, thanks for joining us. Hi, Rick. You know, Ferdi, when you think of the family of nations in Europe, the Belgians are kind of like the uh, the practical joker in, mm-hmm. the, in, the, in the class or something. I mean, is there, what is it about the Belgians? You don't threaten anybody... Uh, you're always ready for a laugh. Explain to me how the Belgians might be distinct from other Europeans, in the eyes of other Europeans, maybe. Well, specifically in the eyes of um, the Dutch people, for example. You know, you have the jokes like the Americans and the Canadians, and we have that the, the, this thing with the with the Dutch people. And uh, the Belgians are more the, the laid back. Uh, we, the Dutch calls us the peasants, but we are really beloved in Europe for us, our hospitality, our or um, uh, openness, and specifically if Americans come over. You know, I know I lived there all my life, and when Americans come, I have a friend who has a restaurant or or, or a taverna, and they all flock around as American. They all want to speak this English, and they're all interested, and they all they just love it. Yeah, this is a Belgian. They just they just open. They love to eat. They love to drink. They they very. So Belgians are famous for the sax, inventing the saxophone. Yeah, the That's sax, a good yeah. time instrument. Uh, comic books, I think. Comic people, books, yeah. What, was, what is that it? business? People think of uh, Belgium for comics. Well, the comic book is like uh, Hervé's, one of the uh, writers, uh, Tantan, like many people know, even made a movie of Tantan. There was... Tantan? Uh, Tantan, uh, yeah. The, the, the guy with the little funny hairdo and the little uh, fox uh, dog. And that's uh, most of Europe would recognize oh, this. All of the co- world. I yeah. mean, they even sold it in Japan. I mean, really? can you imagine yeah. a small country like Belgium? has something so uh, uh, known in the world. It's just amazing. And you've, of course, got, uh, I think, some of the best beer in Europe. Oh, for sure. We have, like, uh, 500 different kinds of beers. You go, to a, you go to a fine wine shop in a little community in Paris, a, mm. a, a wealthy com- mm-hmm. uh, neighborhood in Paris, mm-hmm. and, they've got the, and they've got their wine, and they've got a little beer. Yeah. And all the wine, of course, is French. Mm-hmm, of course. And yeah. the beer is all Belgian. Uh-huh. 
It's so, known. So these high-class Parisians yeah, know that, yeah. man, you go for... Oh, yeah. And everybody, even the Germans, the Danish, who are big beer drinkers. I mean, but it's more for them, I think, quantity than quality. They know they really respect the Belgian beers. I know when I travel in those countries, the first thing they say, you brought some beer. Yeah. <laughs> well, They really like it. You that's know. what, I mean, that's what my Belgian friends yes. bring me when they come yes. to our reunion yes. here in Seattle. Uh, let's say I'm a, I'm just a tourist. I'm going to Europe. Belgium kind of falls through the cracks. It doesn't, it's, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's a little country. It's not big enough for a, a lot of people to even find on the map sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, give me a quick tour of, of uh, Belgium from a sightseeing point of view. What would the highlights be? Where do people The go? highlights is such an underestimated uh, country. It's had so much to offer. Like I said, I lived there all my life, and I still discover some things like, wow, I didn't even know they were here. And you it's know, tiny. Tiny. I mean, how many kilometers? How, how long on the well, train across the country? I think if you country? go from the north, from the North Sea, and you go all the way to the south, let's say Arlon, which is a, right. a city in the south, it takes about three hours, three and a half max. Okay. And you're there. By driving. By driving. So you can drive anywhere in the country. Yeah. Fr- Brussels would say in the middle. middle. You can drive anywhere within an hour and a half. In an hour almost. and a half. And okay. you're pretty much on the outskirts of the country of Belgium. Okay. And it's got everything to offer. It's got the North Sea. It's got the medieval towns. It's got the Golden Age, which actually ended after the Inquisition of the Spaniards, and it's in, in, in Amsterdam. But you got the same architecture, Antwerp, Bruges, Ghent, beautiful cities. you got Brussels, the capital, now actually the capital of the Union. Uh, and the south, it's like time stood still there. You have the Wallon part with all the monasteries, the beer brewing, the cheese-making monks, and so forth. It just is a, a, a country that has a, a lot to offer. Now, you said Walloon. And, the Walloon's uh, the French part. So yeah. the, Belgium, small as it is, still the north half is Flemish-speaking, Yes. and, the, and that's uh, like the Dutch, yeah. and the south half is French-speaking. French-speaking. So is there more than a linguistic gap there? How does how does the personality well, change? It, it's an eternal that has been going on for such a long time, and at the, in the beginning when I was 18, you know, way younger, uh, we had this conflict between the Walloons and the Flemish, but we're getting along so well that lately it, it's, it's not an issue anymore. Political, I mean, I mean it went bad. I mean, we had governments falling over the language problem. Is that right? What, what, what language dominates? Dominates Flanders now, the Flemish. Is that right? The yeah, Flemish because we have a better infrastructure. We have the bigger industry. And like you said, Wallonia or whatever the, uh-huh. what's it called where the Walloons live? Wallonia. Wallonia. Yeah, you oh, said that sort of time stands still. Yeah, almost. the infrastructure didn't move on too well because we have three governments. Yeah. We have the national government, a Flemish government, and a Walloon government. So, ah. And they're trying to work together. It's working way better than it used to be. So the Flemish dominate, and as in most countries, the northern half, is a, it seems to be a little more industrious oh, and hard-hitting. Industrious, hard-hitting. And the it's, south the half has better beer and knows how to relax. Better beer and more cheese and more relaxed. It's more the... More the, cheese, too. <laughs> better more cheese. cheese. To it, yes. Well, you're right on the border of France. Mm-hmm. Now, Brussels, the capital, the dominant city, is... Uh, primarily French-speaking, though, isn't it? Well, actually, it used to be, because, you know, all the noble, I said, the blue-blooded people flocked to Brussels, because this was the main hub. You know, Brussels existence in the year 900, 1000, so it's about over a 1,000 years old. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, uh, the French-speaking. The blue-blooded people spoke French, right? Okay. Now, because the Flemish have old industry, the more money ah. is in Flanders, and now Flemish is more spoken than French. Really? So the Flemish French. language was the, uh, the, 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 the peasant language. The peasant language. And the, the aristocrats that ran the country French. happened to be French. They yes. would be educated. And the funny thing is that all those uh, people, the Flemish part, who had a little bit better off, who were barons or dukes, spoke French with a Flemish flair to it. That was kind of funny. That's fun. Well, that's the great thing about Europe is all these cultures mixed together. It's just a, it's a, it's a a stew, a a demographic stew. By the way, I'm talking with Ferdinando Mengi. He's a tour guide friend of mine from Belgium. And uh, we're talking about a little country that is one of Europe's great secrets, Belgium. Mm. And uh, if you go way back in history, Belgium and the Netherlands were the same country, weren't they? The, were, were they one country well, ruled one by Spain? Of, or before what? 1830, it belonged to Holland, to okay. the House of Orange. Oh, the House of Orange, okay. Yeah. 
and then they rebelled. Well, at first, very before that was Burgundy. You know, the dukedom of Burgundy. The, 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 the dukes of Burgundy ruled that part, okay. which is now Belgium. Right. Then the Dutch took it back. And it was for a short period they rebelled to Belgium against the Dutch. And in 1830, we had our independence from Holland. And since then, it's, it's our independence. So 1830 was actually a very young country, yeah. only 170 years. And uh, we revolted and we had our king, which was actually, by the way, uh, a German. It was Leopold I. Was that right? Yeah. So, it's, it's, so sometimes a little independent country shops yeah. around for yeah. some um, mm-hmm. top-end uh, royal blood. And oh, yeah. They don't even need to be from their yeah, country. Yeah, Saxon, Coburg was the name. You just wanted yeah. some available yeah. royalty who could move in, yeah. occupy the palace and run yeah. your country. Yeah. Now, I was just in the royal palace last summer in Brussels, and there's a new museum there. Mm-hmm. And they've opened up a big wing of it. And to me, I, ha- I can't recall going into a country where the people love their royal family so well, much. Still, There's incredible still respect is. in Belgium. Tell us about the royal family in well, Belgium. Well, the royal family, I mean, when King Baudouin, you know, or Boudouin, like they say in French, died, I mean, it was enormous. I mean, he was, um, his, his body was, was um, put up for the people. There was a line for about three days uh, seeing him, you know, his, 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 his dead body to... It was to amazing remember him. To, yeah. to remember him. And even the king we have, uh, we say this time, uh, this is going to be our last king because it cost us too much. Because a king, having a king costs a lot of money. Right. You know? But anyway, it's still it's not. Because now they're looking for this, the next king. Is that right? We have this Albert, and now the son Philippe is probably going to be the king. So if you're giving advice to other royalty to stay in good with your people, how do the Belgians, Belgian royalty do this? Why do you folks like your, your royal family so Because much? it was a kingdom since day one, you know, since mm-hmm. 8030. But how are, the, how are the royal family operating today? Are they just um, jet setters? If I might speak my mind, I, I don't think we really need a king. It's just mm-hmm. we're one of the few kingdoms in the world. Well, we have England and Holland and uh, f- Spain and then... Well, they're constitutional monarchs. Constitutional so they're, monarchs, but... They're, they're figureheads. Mostly, yeah, they're yeah. figureheads, and it's a pretty much the same thing in Belgium. We, they have no political influence, mm-hmm. but the king has been sent. Like uh, Prince Philip, for example, the son of the king, he does all those political kind of uh, uh, travel, and he represents the country of Belgium. It's more like you said, a figure. And if, if you go back to World War Two, mm-hmm. didn't the royalty of, of many of these European countries kind of keep the spirit alive during those oh, dark gosh, times? Yes. When they're the very, very, uh, I say, royal... Uh, feeling. I mean, I have nothing against the king, but right. we prefer sometimes, it's just a mixed thing, but the older generation love the king. They love the king. They will like to keep him. Speaking of World War II, are there, in our country, we have a lot of, when I was growing up, there was a lot of um, depression mentality, we called it, and everybody was remembering they grew up in the tough times of the depression and so on, mm-hmm. even 50 years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50 years later now, 60 years, I guess, is there still scars of, from World War II in I, don't think so. So you're beyond that. Beyond that. That's uh, great. Uh, and I must say that my mom, God bless her, she's 80 years old, and uh, she's the last generation who actually witnessed the war. Right. So if I want to know something from the war, I talk to these people. I think in 10 years from now, I hope not, we all have to go by book. So, but right. the scars right now, no. And they, that, they all way behind that point. And uh, what about the attitude toward German people? Because uh, Germans gave you guys a tough time 60 years ago. Any you problems know, now? The funny thing about the Europeans, you know, we all have to say about something. Ah, oh, the Dutch this, and the French this, and the Belgians this, and the Germans. The Germans are well-known. Finally, I do, respect, I do apologize for all the German listeners. Um, it is a fact that the Germans think they're a little bit higher than us. They They still have that kind of... And they're doing well. It's a great country. Don't forget that they have sure. automobile. They have old inventions came basically from yeah. Germany. Well, you got yeah. Yeah, but but they still have that. And the Germans, if we know, if they come over, you know, they're Germans. We know. 
So there is this sort of a little little brother kind of thing, oh, big yeah, brother. Yeah. But we're getting along pretty well. And you, you can fine. you can uh, like a little brother, you can bug your big brother and oh, do it in fun. Of course, fun. we can. All right. We can. A lot of people call Brussels the little sister of Paris in, in different ways. How mm-hmm. would you compare Brussels to Paris? Brussels to Paris, I think you know we are gourmet people, mm-hmm. gourmet eaters. We love our food. Don't forget that Belgian is one of the top five cuisines in the world right now. I've, I've heard people say you eat as well as the French and as hearty as the Germans. Exactly. So it's That's none correct. of this nouveau cuisine. No, no, no. Quality cuisine, but good hearty portions. And the relationship goes to the cuisine. Tell it's, me more. It's, it's this Brussels, uh, Paris thing, and the Parisians, I mean, as chauvinistic that French are, and, and I can't say that as a Belgian, yeah. uh, they, they respect the Belgian cuisine and they know that there are excellent restaurants and, and the two, three-star Michelin restaurants, which is something for the French, you know, that they love their cuisine, you know, right, that, that right. they think they're the top and, and the, for reasons. But that's the little Paris of... Uh, of, of so you, you look at your relationship to Paris as sort of uh, in... A culinary, culinary, gastronomic. Yeah. I want to stay away from touristic cliches, but uh-huh. we won't talk about Brussels sprouts or Belgian no, waffles. Okay, okay. But I want to talk about French fries because mm-hmm. I love French fries, mm-hmm. and to me, the best fries are in Belgium. It is. You know, what's the, the what's fries, that? fries are an invention, and, but the Belgian came up with the fries. You know, the potatoes are important by the Spaniards. Right. French fries has nothing to do with French. It's the cut. Ah. The way you cut a potato is the French way. That's a French cut. I didn't it's know that. It's got nothing to do with France. Okay. But the Belgians came up with uh, frying this in oil. Cutting the potato in a French way. In a way. French way. And then you have the Julienne way, yeah. very thin, right. and then you have the French cut. That's why oh. you call the French fry. And what's the other way, Julienne? Julienne is very thin. I see. Like yeah, scuff, very, very fine. Right. They do yeah. also do the vegetables, Julienne. I see. And you, d- and you dip your French fries in mayonnaise? mayonnaise? yes. What's the deal? Uh, well, it's the way we do it. I mean, you guys do it with ketchup. We do it with mayonnaise. And actually, when I do the tours... I get people, America's converted from ketchup to mayonnaise. So you gotta try it with mayonnaise before you try laugh at it. Okay? Exactly. This is very important. When in Belgium, <laughs> d- dump, dump your, d- dunk your fries in mayonnaise <laughs> like the locals exactly. do. There's more with Ferdinando Mengi on Belgium. It's coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. Fernando Mengi is our guest right now on Travel with Rick Steves. We're taking your calls about Belgium at 877-333-7425. Our email address is radio at ricksteves.com. Hey, we've got some uh, travelers on the line here. I'm talking with Ferdinando Mengi, a good friend of mine from Belgium, and uh, Gary uh, from Bloomfield Hills in Michigan. Gary, thanks for your call. You're welcome. 
Uh, what are you thinking about in Belgium? Well, we were going to be taking a trip the first time um, to Belgium. We've been all around from Germany and even to Luxembourg and France and up to the Netherlands and finally decided to do that. And the one question I had, you kind of addressed a little bit. We have some French-Canadian friends in Windsor across the river who told me that Flemish is now the more dominant language and I should learn some Flemish. And I was hoping to get by on some of my elemental French and wondered when we go to Bruges and to Brussels, um, how best to introduce myself and what, what language should I try? The Belgians are known for uh, multitask language. I speak five languages. And, and if I say that's in Europe and, and to a Belgian, it's not a big deal. I mean, you know, you say that to an American, they go, wow. Wow, yeah. they just fell down. <laughs> you like, say that to the European you, and you yeah, go, European, well, oh, well, well you're deal. educated. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry too much about uh, speaking Flemish. But if you are good at languages, I would recommend you, you learn a few Flemish uh, words like uh, how are you, uh, what is uh, well, how much cost this, and, and fun. They will love it. And Flemish, I must say, good luck there because it's a very, very difficult language. But That's what I heard. It's like <laughs> Dutch, and I, I didn't want to really have no. to invest a lot of time but wanted to know. Yeah, but it's kind of it's kind of neat if you – it's always nice if you can address a person in their own country in their own language, even if it's two words and makes it open doors and they're going to be flabbergasted by wow and if you're not if you're not savvy enough about that country i would imagine if you try to try to do the thoughtful thing and you speak french to a person from the flemish speaking part it's no better than speaking english no they a lot of flemish speak french and for sure english don't worry but if you want to impress them know what they speak in that region yeah. yeah i would say don't address them in french in the flemish part Okay. And don't address the, 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 the French speaking with Flemish. You know, we still have that kind of thing going. It's better if you go to the Flanders part where they speak Flemish, try a few words in Flemish, and if you lose it, if you can't handle it anymore, just go with English. Teach Gary a couple of, couple of phrases. Well, it, it, Flemish, uh, for example, uh, hello is, uh, or good morning is, Goede Morgen. Goede? Goede Morgen. Okay. You have Morgen. to roll. Do that art. again. Give me that robust. Goede Morgen. It's a very harsh language. Morgen. You know? Now, would that sound the same in the Netherlands? Yeah. And, exactly and the same? Now, let me do the, the Dutch. I can speak Dutch, too. So, in Belgium, we say Goede Morgen. Goede Morgen. In, in Dutch, it's Goede Morgen. More mm. spit in the it's Netherlands. It's more spit and a more uh, kind of a guttural phlegm that you have to kind of come up Flemish. with. Flemish. Flemish. No. Yeah. <laughs> One more time. Give me the good morning in uh, Belgium. Goede Morgen. Goedemorgen in Dutch. So it's a little, it's very similar. It's pretty much like uh, the Americans and the English. I've got to clean off your mic. Yeah, I have to clean off the mic <laughs> now. Okay. It's going to fall spit right now. Yeah. What, um, what's, what would you say if you're having a beer and you want to um, say here's to your health or something? Uh, 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 to store your health is gezondheid. Like gezondheid in uh, German. Gezondheid in German. So it's a, it's a Germanic language. It's pretty similar. So we say gezondheid. Uh, there's a few words. Santé, which is a French version. We say santé a lot, even in the Flemish part. Okay. Yeah. So you can do that. Santé, gezondheid, uh, uh, ching ching, stuff like that. Gary, gezondheid is the real world. Gary, you're on your way. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. Have you're a great welcome. time. Will do. Thanks. Bye. And Barry is on the line uh, from Palm Bay, Florida. Barry, thanks for your call. Yes, Rick. Uh, uh, it's just a pleasure to talk to you. I'm one of your biggest fans. I'm retired U.S. military. I, I spent 24 years on active duty in the Air Force, and I spent three years at Shape Headquarters in Belgium near Moans. Okay. And I, I get back there every once in a very great while. My uh, oldest daughter was born there at the uh, hospital, and she has both hmm. a Belgian birth certificate and an American birth certificate. Hmm. But um, the uh, the thing I loved, but uh, your guest there stole a lot of my fire because. Um, I love French fries with mayonnaise, and that's where I, I learned how to do it. And you didn't mention the wonderful gaufres, the, the, the most delicious uh, uh, waffles you've ever had with cream and 
and uh, strawberries and everything else. Uh, one one thing I wanted to ask about uh, where I lived in, in, at Shape. I actually lived in Swanee, which is just up the road from Shape, and uh, there was a little town on the way to Chevre Air Base, which is about five ten miles away from Shape, called Auth. A U I think it was A T H or A U T H, uh-huh. and they had a, a wonderful wonderful uh, festival every year where they had uh, a parade with these. Uh, giants that would go in the ah, parades, which was so much fun. A Mardi Gras kind of festival. Right. Well, also uh, in Bash, not too far away from Shea. Yeah, with the oranges. Uh, yeah. With the Orange. oranges. Yeah, yeah, I used yeah. to go used to go to that every year, and of course, the uh, the uh, the red oranges were all over the streets, and you just walked down the street, and it would just smell like you were uh, in the middle of an orange factory. Yeah, yeah. But I, what, what I want to know, they still have that festival in Austin? Yes, they're called the Gilles de Bash. Uh, Gilles de Bench has got this, this dressed up, look like a clown, but they have this really big heads with, with, with feathers on top. And they I've have those baskets. That, yeah. Gilles de Bench, very famous, of course. This is a tradition we've been going on for centuries, and they still have it every year. Don't is ask me what Every time. spring, is it sort of tied I in think with it's, Easter or something? It's around the spring, I think maybe February, March, it's around Carnival. Carnival, time. Yeah, sort of thing. Carnival Different thing. countries do the carnival. Yeah. That's the wild time before oh. Lent when you yeah, have Lent, to give up yeah, things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first you have your wild blowout, mm-hmm. then you got your Lent leading up to Easter. But that's going and every town in that region you also have the guys with the with the pigs bladders you know they blow up a pig a real pig bladder and they 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 throw that at people and stuff they fill it with water and it's very funny that's another part but it's in that region they, so you have they, the they target Bench, tourists target probably. tourists it's, it's probably all, american military from shape <laughs> probably from shape yeah from hey um, barry what is shape you worked at shape I, I was a broadcaster for the AFRTS for AFN Shape for three years. But what is Shape? A, Forgive me for not knowing. A Supreme you. Headquarters Allied Powers Europe. Wow. This is the military headquarters of NATO. The, the political uh, headquarters is up in Brussels, but the military headquarters with the Supreme Allied Commander Europe, who is uh, a U.S. Uh, military uh, four-star general, is there at Shape. But it's 14 nations, and they've I got uh, uh, members from all the different countries on the staff there. One, one other thing I wanted to mention quick was that um, – uh, you were talking about the French and the Flemish uh, portions of uh, Belgium. You didn't mention the German portion. Because yeah. while I was at Shape, right. we had a gentleman from a, a German, a Belgian radio station, but they speak German, uh, from the uh, western part of the country that came to give us a visit. Mm-hmm. And what I can remember doing is uh, on a weekend driving down the auto route towards uh, uh, Aachen. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just, just north of Aachen, there's a, uh, a place where Belgium, Germany, and the Netherlands comes together. Yeah. And, and there's a monument, and you can walk around three different countries just by walking it. around that monument. In my language, we call the Drie Landen Punt. It means three, Landen means land, and Punt means point. You can put your foot and you put your feet exactly in three points, and you're in three countries. Wow. That's where they all three come together. And you're right, they speak, they speak German, a very small, because you know what, us Belgians didn't bring it up, because we haven't already had enough problems with our languages between the French. <laughs> you know, let's, let's leave the German, because there's such a small uh, minority there. But, the but point you're is, right. This is where great civilizations yeah. come together in yeah. Brussels, and yeah. consequently you've got uh, the capital of Europe now there. Of course. And you've got such a rich history and a great oh, cuisine. Yeah. Beautiful. Barry, thank you for your, hey, Barry, you mentioned the waffles. Yeah. Yes, the goafs, the no, most, no, most, you, most delicious an, waffles okay. in the world. Goaf, that's how you and I would pronounce it. Because we say gouffre. Gouffre. Yeah. So yeah. that's a French, that would be a French. Uh, yeah, but I, yeah. see, I lived in the Wallonie uh, portion. I was okay. <laughs> famous so for that, the waffles. I, I, yes. I spell Brussels B-R-U-X-E-L-L-E-S. It is confusing, isn't yeah, it? You, yeah. you have the it's different. It's a difficult uh, language, yeah. <laughs> all right. Hey, Barry, thank you so much for your call.
My pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm talking with Ferdinando Mengi, a friend of mine who's a tour guide from Belgium. Hey, we have an email from Doug in New York City, and uh, Doug said, I've tasted and enjoyed some wonderful Trappist beers brewed in Belgium. Uh, he'd love to visit some of the abbeys that produce yes. these beers. Uh, do the monks allow tours? Oh, yeah. Most of the, the monasteries, and there's one that, that pops in my head when I was West Mulle, which is the most famous one. That's what the Trappist Order. They call the Order of the Trappist Monks. They've been brewing beer since the year 800. So what's this connection with monks and beer? Well, you know what, that uh, it, it actually originated in, in Burgundy, you know, when there was this dark Middle Ages when the monks were the most educated first people. You know, and drinking water in those days was pretty dangerous. People already knew this. So the monks start studying all this stuff and start growing hops and actually creating, uh, making wine as well, because wine was there for many, many centuries before them. But they found a, a better solution and actually maybe a better tasting for some people. So they start growing these hops and they start experimenting with this beer. Don't forget that beer was invented way in time, like the Egyptians 5,000 years ago. But these monks actually uh, started in, in, in Burgundy and, and moved out to Belgium and Germany and so on, because the big hops fields are still in Germany. Okay. But they are the ones who actually um, dig into and start studying and, and creating this strong beer. And this beer. is a very strong beer. Oh, I mean, it was considered food, wasn't it, in the Middle Ages? Well, we always said one beer is two, is two pieces of bread. Is two pieces of bread. Equivalent. Like, yeah. The nutritional equivalent. A, a bread in my language is boterham. So we say two glasses are two boterhams, which means it's like a sandwich with something. That's well, how we say Two glasses is a yeah, sandwich. That's why we bunch love beer, because we're actually not only drinking, we're also eating. Oh, that's, right? that's, okay. that's a good excuse probably. So and uh, so, if Doug wants to go to a yes. uh, monastery, that mm-hmm. what would you recommend? Uh, I recommend look? definitely. There's three that I um, uh, like. This Westmaler is where the Trappist order is. Then you have Orval which is also an order, and then you have Rochefort, where you not only have the beer, but also the cheese. Not the Roquefort, you know, but it's Rochefort. Ah. It's a great local cheese and a very local beer, and mm. the monastery dates from the year 1000. Wow. It's like you go there, it's in the middle of nowhere. You drive in there, and you see it's just sitting there. It's a thousand-year-old monastery. Yeah. They give you a tour of yeah. the monastery. Yeah, and you drink beer, and the vat, oh. it's like a 5,000-gallon vat. Uh, Kim from Atlanta, Georgia, emailed us, and she said uh, she loves Bruges mm-hmm. and uh, all the chocolate, lace, good food, beer, gift shopping. Um, it's everything you could ever want to indulge in. She said, <laughs> indulge in. <laughs> I know there's many unique places to see there, and she'll continue to come back and explore more of this walkable town. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sometimes use this as a starter city, combining Paris for a quick five-day trip to Europe. Well, that's quite a, a nice uh, thing to say about the town of Bruges. Bruges is a small town today compared to Brussels, but in its day, it was a very important um, industrial city as uh, Belgium was really leading the northern renaissance, isn't that yes, right? Yes, it's true. It was the, also called the, the Venice of the High North. But Bruges, I mean, who doesn't know Bruges? I mean, of course, it's the lace, the chocolate, but boy, is there more than that. Walkable city, beautiful architecture. If you like that, that 16th century style architecture, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And it's just a small town. It's got, it's kind of walled. It's got this uh, big... Uh, it's got a moat around it, doesn't it? A moat around it. And it's still and then, got and the, the, the Beginnerhof, you know, the begins. And then uh, the mounds of dirt to fortify the moat, and then windmills on top of yeah, the uh, mounds. Yeah, yeah, uh, what would those, would those windmills been for... Industry in yeah, the, it was in the actually latest? it's like the, the lowlands in Holland. You know why we had windmills? People, you know, not to only pump to pump out water, pump up the water. You know, because mm-hmm. these were lowlands. Right. Bruges was very right. close to the North Sea, yeah. and we had problems with water. That's why you have canals called the Rhein in Bruges. We still have those. You know, still. Uh, and one of my favorite things about Bruges is that you see all it's got incredible sites, great restaurants, and yes. an abundance of B and B's. I got yes. way too many B and B's mm-hmm. uh, that are great to even list in my guidebook. And my favorite 
thing when I'm working on my guidebooks is I see all the sites, and that's always great. But then I get on my bicycle, and I go checking out B&Bs that people have recommended for me in the untouristy part of the town, Mm -hmm. which has all the same cobbled charm. Mm -hmm. It's just over in the far side of town, still within the moat. And you've got these wonderful neighborhoods that are just like right out of an old-fashioned Christmas card or something like that. And not only in Bruges, but if you go five, not even five kilometers, you can drive, for example, a bicycle, and it's, it's on that canal. It goes to Dumme. Dama. That's a very popular bike oh, ride. Yeah. Dama. That's why the boats came in in the old days in yeah. when, when, when Bruges was a very important city. Realistically, mm-hmm. if, if people have four or five days for Belgium, and that's frankly as much as most Americans mm-hmm. will have, they'd want to spend two or three days in Bruges, I think, to relax mm-hmm. and enjoy that mm-hmm. town, and, and at least one day in Brussels. Mm-hmm. Let's say they have a couple of days for side tripping elsewhere in, in Belgium. Once yeah. you get away from Brussels and Bruges, you'll find no American tourists almost. I mean, it's, no. a, it's a real Those overlooked part. Yeah. Everybody goes there. Where else should we consider? Well, there's a city that um, that I like a lot is Antwerp. I mean, it's something that a lot of people overlook, but Antwerp, again, a very, very rich history. Beautiful architecture, again, and also this wonderful restaurants, walkable city, Rubens House, Diamonds, and just name it, just name a few, but wonderful too. And, it's and only Rubens a, House is quite a fine museum these days. Oh gosh, it's beautiful. Yeah. If you like this, the, that kind of painting, the yeah. classical. What if the, you want uh, uh, the countryside and uh, just to yes. get, get out and enjoy nature? Don't forget that uh, famous World War, one of the worst world's wars we had. Um, and an hour from there, you have the uh, where, the, where the Germans were kind of held up by the Belgians and the Franks, and you still see the drenches. Is that right? Dix, Dix murder. It's only uh, 45 minutes from, from Bruges. So there are sites, uh, some yeah. of the trench warfare still sites there. from World War One. Yeah, and you know, I have to go back to the really beginning of the show when you say oh, there's still scars. I yeah. think these are the only scars, if it's just the, the, the literally visual one you can see. The physical scars are physical. the trenches and the lunar landscape that's been overgrown now. Yes, but it's overgrown, but I still found bombs up. Once they still the farmers, bombs. you know, those those big, yeah. big mustard gas they did, and it was really ugly, but it was a very ugly war, but you can still, still see that today. Wow. And that's not too far from Bruges. Oh. And uh, if you're really into military history, you've got Waterloo. And of course, Waterloo, that's yeah, outside of Brussels. Waterloo. To the but, the All right. de Waterloo. Well, the yeah. big news for Belgium these days is it is the capital of the European Union. Mm-hmm. Explain this to me, Faraday, because you've got uh, Strasbourg also, mm-hmm. um, but, but is Brussels actually the capital of the EU? Brussels is where most of the decisions are made. Strasbourg is where the political thing decisions. And you have uh, Luxembourg, I think, that's where that's right, yeah. the European Parliament have their daily powwow. So, but Brussels is really the most important um, uh, headquarters, I think, from ho- the and whole of you. That's sort of changed the character of Brussels. These oh, well, days. Well, they, it's an international you've city. been to Brussels. I mean, you've yeah. seen that whole neighborhood they tore down. Oh, yeah. And they built these beautiful uh, new facilities for this EU. It cost billions, but uh, it's the, there. Are the Belgians proud to be the oh, yeah. hosting this? Of course. And you're a little country. Is, yeah. um, is the European Union a good thing for the little countries of Europe? Yes. Why um, is that? I think that uh, getting us closer together. And I still, and I'm sure people say, but are you not going to lose your, your really identity? Identity. No, we don't. You cannot change a French. You cannot change a Belgian or a German. That's impossible. But it, it gets us close together. Like this, this, this euro, that's one good step for us. This is a wonderful thing and everybody likes it. To begin the old people, they had kind of a problem with it, but now everybody loves it. It's yeah. such an easy thing so to do. So everybody travel. has the same coins. Yeah, same coins. What a headache in the old days. You couldn't go two hours without Imagine having to change money. Imagine we did tours and there wow. was just a headache. And now you can go all the way to Spain yes. and use the same and coins. And that's one step. It's not only because of the money, but people are so used to it. Um, I, I just traveled a little bit um, in the, to, to France the other uh, last month. And, and people, it's just so easy to get around, and you still feel you're not in your country. You cross, hmm. you're in France. You still have the same food. You just pay with the same money, and that's, that's kind of neat. Now, have, how has life changed for uh, Belgians since the European Union? Is it better? 
Well, you know what? I just read the paper the other day in Belgium, and we're one of the richest countries in Europe right now. I said, mm-hmm. wow. Even mm-hmm. the, the most richest uh, the, the, uh, people. I mean, everybody has, like, I think, an inv- and, and saving, like, 20,000, 30,000 uh, euros. The times are good in Belgium. Yeah. But, of course, it's an expensive country. Don't forget, we pay extremely sure. high taxes, but uh, everything is taken care of. You don't have to worry for your future. So that's interesting. You Europeans pay much higher taxes than yeah. we do, and you don't talk with a disdain about taxes like no. most Americans do. Why is that? Well... You know, when I do my tours, people love when I talk about the contemporary uh, Europe. We always talk about the past 1400 this, but now I like to talk about 2006. That's something very important. People are on the edge of the seats when they, when, when I start talking about this daily life. Mm-hmm. And taxes are high. I mean, but, but look what we get. You know, we got to do a doctor. It cost me $2. Mm-hmm. Is it a good my, doctor? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. You know, and you can pick any specialist doctor you want. Mm-hmm. So you've got go national health care and you like it. Oh, yeah. I got, you know, you can get a retirement. You have a few retires for life. You don't have to necessarily worry for what you're going to have to retire. In this country, you have to worry. That's why your taxes are low. If you don't save up, if you don't put money aside, right, and you trouble. live off your, your uh, IRA, right. I don't know. <laughs> it could be so trouble. In Belgium, it's, it's, you don't Think have the stress. Not stress. What if you're raising children and you're wondering about the cost of um, cost of Also, a totally different ballgame than the United States. Uh, I've been uh, traveling long enough in this stage to know this. Um, uh, there's a lot of there's, there's this people's university that costs nothing. Free. Is that right? Yeah. You can have your kid go to a quality university for free, co- in for free in Belgium. And they'll find a place. Oh, yes, yes. My goodness. There's a lot of Americans also studying there. Hey, we can learn a lot more. I've been talking to my good friend Ferdinando Mengi. Thank you uh, Did I say that right? Yeah, you said perfect. Thank you Thank you very much. As I walk along the street with my mayonnaise and feet, you can tell I'm as happy as can be. For the next stop, it's time for something completely different, Belize. Kurt Kutai joins us in the studio for an overview of the former British Honduras. And we'll check in with a homegrown tour guide in Belize to get first-hand ideas on how to explore the jungle backcountry. Up next, on Travel with Rick Steves. 877-333-RICK. It's great to be a Belgian. I'm not English, I'm not French, and I'm not Dutch.
Hola, me llamo Carlos, soy uh, de Madrid, España, y me gusta mucho viajar con Rick Steves. Um, I just said, uh, hi, my name is Carlos Galvin, I'm from Madrid, Spain, and I enjoy traveling with Rick. Hola, me llamo Carlos, de España, y me gusta mucho viajar con Rick Steves. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Let's go down to Belize. Belize, uh, you know, if you've got an old globe, it probably says British Honduras. That's but, right. Uh, I think for uh, 20 years, something like that, it's been a, its own independent country. And I've got with me a, a friend who runs a tour company that specializes in taking tours around uh, Latin America, including Belize, Kurt Kutai, who runs Wildland Adventures. Kurt, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Belize. When when was Belize uh, made independent? In the 80s. In the 80s. Mm-hmm. I remember going to Belize City and they had like a, a little strip mall and a little uh, uh, one of the little signposts sticking up there and it goes, Belize, independent since 1983 or something uh-huh. like that. And it's such a charming little country. Every, every, everybody seems like everybody knows everybody. That's right. It is. It's only the size of the state of Massachusetts. It's got like 100,000 people or something. I mean, it's yeah. tiny, yeah. tiny. What distinguishes Belize from the surrounding countries, Guatemala and Mexico? It's kind of like a mix of, of of them, you know, in the sense that there's a Spanish population, there's a Mayan population, there's a, a, a Carib African Garifuna population, there's even Mennonites there. So it's very much of a mix. And then even t- topographically, it's sort of like the Yucatan of Mexico, but it's got mountains like the highlands of Guatemala and, of course, the Caribbean. And, and then it has the second largest barrier reef in the world. Wow. So you've got your – let's review the ethnicity again. You've got the Mayans, so that would be indigenous Indians. That's right. You've got Caribs, which are black uh, descendants of slaves. Yes. You've got Mennonites, who are religious people who went there uh, historically from Europe. Yes, through Canada and then down to Belize. And then and then the Mestizo, the mixed Spanish and British. I see. And the, and the people who mixed up when the uh, Cortes and the Conquistadors came over and they mixed uh, Spanish blood, or the European blood and the Mexican blood. Okay. Right. Plus, you've got this fascinating um, pre-Columbian history and you've got incredible natural wonders. You call it a rough and ready destination. What do you mean by that? I like Belize because there's still a rough side to it. You know, it's it's they're they're paving more roads and there's a little more ecologies and that's the the ready part of it, if you will. It's it is more it's a, it makes itself available in that sense. But there's still places you can get away. It's hot, sweaty, it's dusty. You can get to Mayan ruins that are off the beaten track in the jungle. You know, and you can go into these little Rastafarian bars. Yeah, I I couldn't believe the scene in the Rastafarian bars. Absolutely. And then the Caribbean coast, the Garifuna people, you know, I mean, and the, the heavy Creole accent, which you'll hear, I think, in just a minute. In fact, we've got a friend of yours who's one of your tour guides on the, on the cell phone from Belize right now. That's right. He's leading one of my clients out on the, out on the beach right now at the moment. Introduce us to your friend. Sam Tillett, say hi. Hi, this is Sam Tillett from Belize. And what's, what's going on in Belize right now, Sam? Oh, well, right now it's pretty nice. This is a nice time of Belize, um, for country, Belize. You've got you're, you're taking some Americans around. Yeah, I have some guests now. We already seen a lot of Maya ruins. We do caving. We do um, canoeing down the river in real jungle. So caving, uh, caving, canoeing, Mayan ruins, and I understand you're a, a great bird watcher. Right. That, well, that's what I was going to tell you. We got we already got 133 species of bird. Are your guests right now into birds? Um, they are into a little bit of everything. They uh, want they want to see. Because Belize have so many, so much things to offer, so they want to see a little bit of everything. So we're doing that. So 133 species of birds. That means that's how many you've seen, or that's how many you could see if you saw them all. That's what how many we have so far. We still, you know, we still have a whole bunch more yet to see. 
And how many have you seen? Oh, I've seen like 500 and I think 572 to be correct right now. Right in front of me right now, a bear-throated tiger heron is one of the beautiful birds just passed right in front of me just now. Another one coming. What, what, what kind of bird is that? A bear-throated tiger heron. It's a big bird. What kind of tiger heron? Bear-throated. Ba- bear-throated? Yeah. Tiger, tiger heron. <laughs> yeah. Just flying by. Okay. Yeah, just and passing in front of me. Sam, you're taking your group caving, did I hear? Yeah, we already did the caving. What is that? Um, caving, uh, what we do is, um, you know, the Mayan used to do a lot, um, have this, this one it was a dry cave. We hike up like 700 feet above um, normal sea level, and then um, we went down into this cave. It's, it originally was created by um, by river and um, limestone, so it's easy to, to go through. And it created a path in there, and that's what the Mayan, they used to go take, at this certain cave, they take a whole lot of grain in big pots and store them there. Also, they use them for a ceremonial purpose, too. So, so it's, it's go under the ground. You're under the ground, walking 150 feet under the ground. Do you take a flashlight with you? Yeah, we do use headlamps. Headlamps? Yeah. Do the tourists like that? Oh, very excited for them, especially when they turn off the light and really see what is darkness. <laughs> and, and listen to the silence. Oh, yes, wow. very quiet. Uh, well, this one is a dry cave. We, I've been through a lot of uh, wet caves, so you could hear the water when you turn the light off and be quiet. You could hear the water actually talking. Whoa. Excited. Did you guys go to Tikal on this trip, Sam? No, we didn't. This, this trip wasn't Tikal. Yeah. Tikal no, is just across the border. Oh, yeah, that's right, into Guatemala. Yeah, it's just as easy to get to Tikal from Belize as it is from Guatemala. Hey, Sam, you live in a country where, when I was there, I was impressed by this kind of strange, funky English heritage. You've got you've got uh, little boys running around whose names are Godfrey or Merlin or Rodney. Yeah, because um, especially in Crooked Tree where the English had settled, we, um, you know, in slavery, we adopt their title. So in Crooked Tree, you have a lot of Cod, Smith, Cato, Tillet, Juliet. They're all Scottish. Well, you know, it's a different. You have to say it's Scottish. Now, and the language is fun to read. You pick up a newspaper, and it's actually printed in the Creole, uh, like, pidgin English, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a broken English made up of African, French, and English. African, French, and English. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Give me an example of some uh, pidgin English that you might hear. Okay, I would say... I will say, I will walk away from you guys right now, and I will say, sauté later. That means until later. Okay. Yeah. I, I would ask you again, where they do? That means what you guys doing. Where, where they do? Where they do. Yeah, where they do. Where they do. Yeah. I remember the, uh, the ship sink, the boat sink. Yeah. The boat, boat sink in the yeah. harbor. That was the headline when I was in Belize uh, City. Yeah, the boat sink. sink. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, Sam, thank you for uh, joining us, and uh, best wishes with your work as a tour guide in uh, Belize. Okay, thanks a lot. Take care, Sam. Okay, bye-bye. I'm talking with Kurt Kutai, and Kurt runs a company called Wildland Adventures, and uh, part of his program is taking uh, American groups through Belize. Kurt, when we're thinking about Belize, you can side trip there from the Yucatan quite easily, can't you? You can come down from Mexico. Is the border wide open? Yes. Okay. Now, when you're when you're going to Belize, you've got this wonderful variety. Most people seem to go down there and they're just hell bent on getting out into the islands and snorkeling or, or scuba diving. You've got these wonderful reefs for scuba diving, isn't that right? Yes. What's your advice on people who want to have a a well-rounded experience in Belize? Check that out, but not just be specifically that. Well, remember it has the three R's: ruins, reefs, and rainforests. The three R's: ruins, reefs, and rainforests. 
Yep. So if you take all those in, that means you're going to be traveling inland to see the rainforests and uh, and the and the ruins, the Mayan ruins and the jungles, and then out to the coast to see the uh, reefs. You know, because it's easy. There are people, special interest travelers, who want to just do scuba, and they stay out on the keys for special scuba packages or fishing packages. And then I guess you could say there's the fun in the sunset who just goes to the resorts on the coast. Mm-hmm. But you really miss everything else that, that is Belize. The charm of the Belizean culture. Yes. Wow. I mean, and that would be a real shame, I think, to go down there and isolate yourself and just have fruity drinks and other North Americans to, you know, work on your tan. Yeah, and it's, and it's accessible enough with roads and, and internal flights that you can get around pretty easily. Now, you just finished an exploratory trip going on a new highway down the south. Yes, they finally finished paving the southern highway down to the Toledo district, which is the southernmost district of uh, Belize, which borders Guatemala in the south. They always have referred to themselves as the um, you know, left-alone stepchild of the country. You is know? that right? Yeah. Almost autonomous? Not quite. A, well, only by virtue of the fact that there's just so no isolated. government attention. Yeah. This is a, an indigenous and it's Mayan. mostly Mayan people. Did you notice that when you go down there? Oh, More totally. Pure oh, Mayan? totally. It's almost like being in Guatemala. And wow. the opportunities for going to Mayan villages in the mountains in southern Belize is just very similar to that in uh, Guatemala. Talk about a backdoor experience. So now you can actually drive a paved road from, from Belize City south. Yes. Doesn't Belize have a one of these planned uh, capital cities, Belmopan or something? Yes, it does. Uh, yeah, they had to move it in because of hurricanes. So Belize was the Belize city was the historic capital. Yes, but it's just too susceptible to hurricanes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is Belmopan just a uh, soulless place, just a bunch of money? Pretty much. Country? I mean, they have a really good archaeological museum if you take the time to see it. That's worth seeing. Oh, really? Because when I visited, the uh, archaeological treasures were in somewhere in, in the United States, just waiting for them to build a museum. Yeah. So they've actually got their act together and they built do. their own museum. Mm-hmm. This is such a humble country. It is. It it's really a humble, is. charming little country, and mm-hmm. the people speak enough English for you to be – there's almost oh, no language completely. barrier. Yeah, yeah, and except maybe in southern Belize in the Toledo district. But it's, you know, the interesting thing about Belize is that all the people that have gone down there or are involved in tourism, everybody is so independent in Belize. They all just are doing their own thing. So all these different lodges and things, they're just – they all have their own unique character. Nobody tries to work with anybody else, you know. So when we're trying to organize a tour or if you're trying to go down and travel there, you know, you really just kind of go from one place to the next and each one's different. So you're a tour organizer. You, you can't just call some uh, big shot in the capital city to That's line it right. All up. Not in Belize. Everything we do in Belize is people to people. direct to people to people. Wow, so including got Sam. See, with Sam, he's our point man there, really, because you know, and he has a little guest house crooked in the village of Crooked Tree. You know, backpack travelers stay there, and we take our guests to stay there because it's just truly an authentic cultural experience. Yeah, well, it's it, not an eco lodge at all. It's no. just a village. <laughs> it's just, now, let's just talk very quickly about the Belize, the Belize's rainforest. They've got a lush environment. What is the attraction for tourists for the rainforest there? Well, uh, abundance of wildlife, you know, several species of monkeys, um, and, and incredible bird life there. Uh, and then just being in the rainforest itself is just really beautiful. The tropical, you know, the ecology of the tropical rainforest with insects and interactions of plants and animals, everything you learn when you're in the rainforest. And you know what? The best place, one of the best places to see wildlife in the rainforest is at the National Park of Tikal. Right. Where of course the ruins are. Now you side that's actually in Guatemala. Yes. Is it? I, I I know that a lot of people go from. It's a sort of a remote part of Guatemala. It's almost as accessible from Belize as it is from Guatemala City or something. Yeah. Isn't it? Outside of flying from Guatemala City over to Flores, right. uh, driving across the border in two hours is closer from really? Belize. So really, considered a side trip from Belize, and Tikal is probably the premier. What is it? Mayan. Mayan. Uh, pyramid. Tell me yeah, about. I mean, tell me about Tikal. Two hundred and twenty acres of wow. ancient city buried in the rainforest. How does that compare with Chichen Itza in the Yucatan? 
Uh, well, it's just, it's Chichen Itza is a spectacular size. Size was I think to call is much bigger. I'm sure. Mm. Um, what's also interesting is you know what makes Belize interesting is that they're still doing archaeological work, so they're beginning to really open up the ancient city of Caracal, which is across the border in Belize. And Caracal was a rival city with Tikal, so they're learning all kinds of things that at one time Caracal was actually bigger than Tikal. Wow. So as we pay attention in the next years, they're going to be peeling away the jungle and revealing some of this uh, pre-Columbian uh, grandeur. That's right. I remember sitting on top of a pyramid in Belize, looking out across the jungle, and I saw just little green bumps of yeah, the jungle. Exactly. And my guide said, well, those are ruins that we've we've yet to excavate. Mm-hmm. So they're just waiting. Yeah. So there's a, sort of an anticipation. Yeah. There's sort of a, the thrill of being some of the first people to see this after they've uncovered it. That's right. And you can you know have a sense of that when you're traveling through there and maybe stumble upon an active dig. So when people are going to Belize, they're going to see the reefs. They're going to see the Mayan stuff. They're going to do their little rainforest experience. I think the real challenge is to connect with the culture, mm-hmm. to meet the people. What's your best advice on that? Get into the villages. You know, don't just go to an eco lodge, but um, and and interact with the, even with the guests or with the staff of the places you're staying because they're just people from the local village. It's and just then you Godfrey. Can, yeah, it's <laughs> just Godfrey, and Godfrey will take you to see his mother. You know, uh-huh. go over to his house after work. It's that kind so of So be a place. open to that. Yeah, be there's, open. There's a hospitality, and we should be open to that. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of expatriates, you know, who work in Belize too, in lodges and in guiding. But you know, you got to get beyond the expats and and get to the local people. Isn't it like really hot and really muggy? Isn't it like uh, the the worst of the Gulf Coast as far as climate? Um, not as worst as in the summertime it can be. But in the, our winter time, it's actually really quite pleasant. So, so basically, if you go, you're, you're well advised to avoid July and August. Actually, we've we've sent people down in summer now because that's our vacation time. So people right. go to Belize because they want to do the ruins, recent rainforest, and experience that, and they can't get away. You know, is it still stylish for women to wear uh, curlers in their hairs? You know, I think it is. When I, I think back and the scenes of the villages, yes. The, when I go to those villages, it's just very striking. They got these bold colors in their curlers and it's like that's they dressed up today and went outside and they're having fun in the streets yeah we're talking baileys and my guest has been kurt kutai kurt runs a company called wildland adventures to learn more about his tour program visit his website it's wildland.com kurt thanks so much thank you rick Here at Travel with Rick Steves, we think of our listeners as travel partners and offer lots of ways to participate. The radio section of the ricksteves.com website has message boards for you to continue today's discussion online. And, if you're feeling creative, send us a poem. Here's some original haiku we thought you'd enjoy from some of our traveling listeners. Alex Schreff of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, says Belgium is his favorite country in Europe. He sent us several haiku that he wrote about the country. This one was our favorite. As the pomfrites fry, make my gouffre with whipped cream, and my beer, artois. Lauren Wilbur of McMinnville, Oregon, has these memories of a trip to the Swiss Alps. Grand Glacier Peaks sing, 
perfect madrigals of stone, priceless Gimmelwald, and Ewan Savela of Bellingham, Washington, had a disappointing surprise traveling in England on International Pirate Day, April 22nd. I soon realized that I'm the only pirate in Penzance. Now what? Again, we'd like to receive a haiku from you about your travels or send us a short brag about your hometown. Look for details from our 15 Seconds of Fame link. It's in the radio corner at ricksteves.com. It's great to be a Belgian. I'm not English, I'm not French, and I'm not Dutch. I'm not Irish, Italian, or Danish. I'm a Belgian, so thank you very much. Without the Belgians, there would be no saxophone. No Tintin, Captain Haddock, or Poirot. And excuse me if I've missed anybody off the list. These are the only Belgians that I know. Hot for Decker, it's great to be a Belgian. I'm not English, I'm not French, and I'm not Dutch. I'm not Finnish, Austrian, or Swedish. I'm a Belgian, so thank you very much. You know, one of my very favorite things we ever filmed was um, a guy at the Flemish Pot in Bruges, the guy who runs it, Peter. I think oh, the Flemish Pot? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know and that. And he took us into the back room and he showed us how to make his French fries. Wow. He was like an evangelist with these French fries. Oh. You know, he was just crazy. There was a stand, a, a fry stand in Bruges Square. Yeah. Bunk the Belfort. Yeah. That's the best fries. In, in so people know the best fries. Oh, they eat, eat sell this. It's great to be a Belgian. I'm not English, I'm not French, and I'm not Dutch. I'm not Spanish, Portuguese or German I'm a Belgian, so thank you very much Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington There's more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com That's where you can look up information on today's program And listen again to this and other editions of the program Including a link to podcast versions of Travel with Rick Steves You can also submit your questions and comments for Rick from our website to be included on future editions of the show. And send us your submissions for our 15 Seconds of Fame department. Details are at ricksteves.com. The people who help bring you Travel with Rick Steves include Sonia Grosset, Rachel Unk, and Robin Stencil, with technical support from John Weist and Jonathan Lee. Our theme music is composed by Jerry Frank. I'm your producer, Tim Tatton. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. This podcast of Travel with Rick Steves was brought to you by Travelocity. You can plan your next adventure by visiting Travelocity.com.